Hey everybody and welcome to episode 23 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel we have Rod Schmidt. Hello from Salt Lake. Ben Sherman. Hello from Houston. Andrew Madsen. Hi from Salt Lake. James Zuber. Hello from Minneapolis. Pete Hodgson. Hello from a very warm conference room. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And before we uh, get going, I want to briefly just remind you that I have put up the goingroguevideo.com where I put up the video uh, talking about how I went freelance. So if you're interested in that, you can go check it out there. We also have a special guest, and that's Patrick Burleson. Hello from Dallas, Texas. Do you want to introduce yourself since you haven't been on the show before? Sure. Um, my name is Patrick Burleson. I, uh, I run BitBQ software, which is bitbq.com. I also do quite a bit of consulting with uh, MartianCraft, uh, also martiancraft.com, and they are the makers of a design application called Briefs. Cool. That was a previous pick of the show. Yep. Awesome. We should do an episode about Briefs. You should. I think <laughs> you could probably, I could probably get you Rob on the show. That'd be awesome. Then we can do one on Boxers. Yeah, it's got quite a history. Yes, Briefs has a very long history. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. So we brought you on to talk about build automation. Yeah, um, so build automation is something that I think uh, everyone should probably definitely look into, even if you're you know, on a team or even a solo developer. I know that sounds crazy to some people. Why would a solo developer want to have a build automation? And the way I look at it is on my solo stuff, I want the computer doing as much of the work as I can make it do without me having to get in the way. And automating your build is one of those things where, you know, with the click of a button, I can update and ship a new version of any of my products or ship out a beta or whatever. It makes it very, very easy and also reduces the number of mistakes you can make. Uh, or, you know, you, when you don't have to do anything manual, you introduce a chance for a mistake. So, so is this kind of like uh, continuous integration? Yeah, it is a lot like continuous integration. You can use it two different ways. Um, Continuous integration, typically, you, you include unit tests and integration tests with the run. Or you can just have, if you don't have unit tests, just doing a build. Does your stuff compile? Uh, does it make a correct build that you could ship? Is you know, a lot of good tests that get, I mean, a lot of, another test that you can run. And a lot of my builds where I'm still adding unit tests to apps, some of them are just building the app to make sure I check everything in right, which is a pretty common, you know, it's amazing even when you're working by yourself, you it's working great on your machine, but is it going to work great on your other machine uh, when you if you switch to it? And you know something like a build server helps you catch that you missed checking in a, a file or something, or you forgot to check in a, a submodule update or something like that that would have bitten you or a team member down the road. Yeah, it's it's amazing all the things you would find if you were to just jump on a brand new machine, install all the things you would think you would need, and then try and check out your project and run it, and you're probably yeah. missing one or two of those things. Yeah, um, so Changes is one of my products, and um, it was really funny. I switched to another machine, and it wouldn't build, and I couldn't figure out why. Or actually, well, setting up Jenkins for it is what exposed this, and um, it turns out it had a hard couple of hard-coded paths for where stuff should be. And when you're building out of Jenkins, that path is not the same anymore. So it helped me find uh, quite a few uh, issues in the build for that when I was switching it over to be automated. So I love that stuff. So one one thing that I'm wondering about, you're talking about Jenkins and and uh, some of the other CI systems. Can you actually, because most of these you you have some kind of command line interface or command line command that you give it to do stuff, and that's how Jenkins and a lot of these others work. Is there a way to build your app from the command line? Yes, um, for for OS 10 projects and for iOS, Xcode has a command line 
interface called Xcode Build, um, which takes a bunch of parameters. Um, but it's pretty easy to to do if if you just want to test it in your current project. You can cd or you can change to the directory of your project on the command line and just type Xcode Build, and that will take your default target and your default with the default release of uh, configuration of release and build it. You can change all of that. If you do an Xcode build sash help, it gives you a lot of options like changing which scheme to build, which target to build, which configuration to use, um, and you can override all of those things. Architecture. Architecture, yeah, lots of, and you can say do a clean, then a, then a build, or, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, I would definitely recommend the clean build just to make yeah. sure that you're starting from a clean slate every time. Yeah, definitely want to use a clean every time because uh, particularly with nib and, and image changes, Xcode doesn't always pick those up that something has changed. So do you have any like tips for like spotting errors in the like uh, waterfall of output of text that Xcode build gives you? Because sometimes um, I'm a little inundated by log statements and it's hard to find out what was the actual error. Uh, mostly I, I just scan back personally. Usually the errors are pretty obvious. They get, you know, they, they'll be underlined in the output. Xcode puts little, the output generally puts a little, um, underscores under it. They'll have arrows, little carrots pointing to, Hey, here's where your, your error is. And one of the, you know, some of them are pretty, some of them can be cryptic. And like one in particular code sign has its own fun set of issues. One that most people don't know is if you're code signing right now, if the code sign app, Coincide binary can't reach the internet and the Apple time server. It fails to sign. And um, it gives a somewhat cryptic error message about unable to match the time or something like that. And so that means, you know, if their, their time server went down about a year ago for a little while, and it happened to be the night I was setting up changes for the first time in Jenkins and <laughs> the build kept failing and I couldn't figure out why. And uh, it turns out the time server was, was down. So, Another common one there is uh, code sign. Well, I'll, we might save that for some Jenkins stuff, but um, something specific. But I, I mostly just scroll back. But um, if you were to copy that into like a text file, you could grep for error and you generally find it. Yeah, There's so I, I had a little hacky solution for this. Uh, one of those was to run it through a Ruby script that could um, use the popen library to. It was a P open. It was one of those libraries you could pipe standard out through this program and then grep on all the lines and color them red if some condition is met. So um, I would grep for like error colon or whatever. If you grep for error, you're going to get all of the dash W error flags that Xcode uses to compile all the files. Uh, but there's some other patterns that you could choose to, to run. And so I would do that for test failures and build failures so that I could quickly scroll up and look at like an actual red text. There's a couple of which is pretty um, handy. There's a couple of uh, Ruby gems that will do that kind of wrap Xcode build and will give you nice colorized output as well. Um, I think the CocoaPods, one of the gems that's built by the CocoaPods guys does. I can't remember if that does Xcode build stuff or it just does like messing with projects. But I think that one of those guys will will do the same thing where it will give you nice output that isn't just a, a waterfall of of nice. And if you use uh, XC tool, then you get nice output from that as well, rather than Xcode build. So do you run the, the build to actually build the app and then another build to build the tests and run the tests? Um, well, I'm, here's what I'm going to expose that I don't have a lot of unit tests yet. And so I don't run those much. Um, I know that 
I'm trying to remember what you do. I think you can pass Xcode build a, a tests parameter. I'm going to type real quick and find I out. Te- I think it's a test after build. Yes, yeah. but it depends on how your project is set up. And I just tried this with Xcode 5, and it's slightly different now. Um, no surprise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one of, the, one of the things that really annoys me is that on some of my projects, because they were started around, say, Xcode 3 or Xcode 4 timeframe, um, have different settings in them. And so depending on how your project's set up, you might test after build might work, or you might have to create yourself another scheme that is the test scheme, in which case you would run just build. Yeah, and it really depends how you set up your how you set up your unit tests. If you if you're doing like the total stock way that Apple expects you to, then maybe Xcode build will work. But if you're doing it a different way, then you'll probably have to do some tweaking. But I well, think I'm, that's I will say that um, XC tool uh, yeah. from Facebook is they give you a test command. So just like you had clean and build, they also have a test, and I think it figures it out for you. Yeah, um, that's what I was. About it's to worked say. on my my uh, quick you know tests on like side projects. Um, so far, that has been fruitful. So, yeah, I think uh, Facebook are doing Facebook are doing a better job of maintaining the command line testing stuff than Apple are doing. Ironically, yeah, I mean, I remember seeing what this happens if I... you have tests? I was gonna say, what what happens if you have a test that uh, has the test host flag set so that you um, you know should kick off the simulator and run? Uh, but Apple scripts, at least as of Xcode four, would specifically like tell you, nope, that's not supported. Even though I have never seen a reason why it couldn't work. Uh, if you run the simulator manually, um, just seems like every step of the way we've been fighting the framework and things changed with every version of Xcode. So I'm I'm kind of glad that somebody has taken up the helm of making this stuff run with a consistent yeah. command line uh, interface. Yeah, it seemed like it used to be every time a new version of Xcode came out, stuff would break and then there'd be like four or five different workarounds that different random people on the internet would post. So it's kind of nice. I think I feel like XC tool is just a nice place for all that stuff to live so that we don't have to all figure it. All of those that are doing test automation don't have to figure it all out by hand by, you know, splunking around blog posts and all that stuff. So do you do any automation on your actual development machine? Uh, yeah, I do. I have, um, I have scripts and stuff in my, for my projects and that do common tasks. One in particular, I actually have a rake file that does, um, stuff like runs mo generator with all the options I want to run to it and, uh, does other things for me. Uh, I, I usually, if I end up finding myself scripting it, I tend to write a rake, uh, thing for it. That's the thing I'm going to do more than once. Yeah, that's something that I find that I do a lot in my projects as well. Yeah, rake, it's not just for Rails. <laughs> so, so what what sorts of uh, things do you automate? I mean, you mentioned one, but are there other things that you can tell us about? Well, there's a, a project I've worked on where um, it has a lot of localizations, and I get um, updated strings files from the client. And um, when you're talking about twelve localizations, it takes it can take it, you know doing that by hand is such a pain. So I have a script that copies them over, runs IB tool on everything. And then uh, deletes all the unnecessary files, and then you know gets out of there. And it loops over each language and which ones of you know files that have changed and all that. Uh, that's one in particular that I, it saves me a, a lot of time. Luckily, I don't have to automate a whole lot because most of the projects don't have a lot of funkiness like that. How do you handle localization for like an app that you know you add a new button and you're like, oh crap, did I really want to add a button? 
Maybe I'll just uh, do a gesture. That's what I say. <laughs> I say, oh crap! I gotta add this. To, I gotta make this change to twelve zips. Oh, you're, you're killing me. Yeah, um, it makes and me. That's one of the reasons why I was annoyed that like all the icons of buttons went away in, X, in iOS seven because you're like, man, now I need to localize like all kinds of other things in my app. Yeah, I try to. You know, there's the there's a pros and cons for doing everything in you know just a localizable strings file. And doing it all in code, and then also doing it in in nibs, because sometimes there were a couple of languages that needed different UI layouts. They needed to be tweaked so that they could be a little bit wider to show more text. And German, <clears throat> Russian, um, <laughs> and so it was nice. In that case, it was nice to have a nib I could specifically say, "Hey, Russian is going to do this." And uh, where I didn't have to like go into code and be looking hard coding, looking for Russian. So that was nice. So I, it, it, they're double edged swords, you know. Um, I think some of that stuff is just painful. I'm gonna, you know, I don't know of a better way to deal with it with the tools currently available. So, but yeah, that's certainly an example of something I do. Uh, another one, I, I use, um, I use fast scripts for one specific uh, thing right now. Um, uh, clearing drive data is a key command on my keyboard. It runs a fast script that runs rm minus rf xcode derived data uh, for me. Um, I hit that maybe once or twice a day, which is very nice. That's hilarious. <laughs> I haven't needed to, to do that in a long time. But, it's gotten a lot better. Uh, xcode 5 has actually uh, made that almost ne- unnecessary. But there, I still somebody wrote an xcode plugin where they put a button in the toolbar of xcode to do that. And I was like, oh, it's just facepalm. Yeah, total baseball. Um, yeah, actually, I use fish shell as well. And fish remembers, like, it knows the last commands you type. And so as you type, start to type them again, it offers to complete the whole command as the way you typed it last time. And it got to the point where just typing R offered me as my completion R and minus RF <laughs> library you know, developer. So I thought that was sort of funny. Yeah, I, I copied uh, Brent Simmons script. He had a, uh, it was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Something like that. You made it in an yeah, alias, I right? Still, Something like that. Yep, I still have it in my bash aliases. Yeah, I, I um yeah, I just yeah, I created a fast script and assigned some crazy key combination to it and uh yeah, Xcode it, used to just choke on indexing and like lose syntax highlighting and code completion and stuff, and I would have to go in and delete that. Yeah. <laughs> Xcode five, I don't think I've actually had to do it with Xcode five that I remember at this point. It's mostly just when I go back to Xcode four. Hey, speaking of Xcode 5, have you had a chance to check out the new build automation stuff? Only briefly enough to know that it was so broken I couldn't use it. Okay. Um, I'm sure they'd be happy That's to hear It's reassuring. That. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, well, I mean, I, I don't know how much I can go. I don't know how much it is to break the NDA to go. I know that it's released. There's no NDA anymore. Well, but the, or the, the developer seeds. I'm, well, I'm talking about developer seed notes about, like, one of the late seeds... It was like, yeah, SSH key je- checkout doesn't work. It was like, yeah, that's what? kind of important. Yeah. That's sort of important for like, that's how I check out all my code. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I really, I really didn't get a chance to look at it. And I really want to because it would be really nice because there's some good integration there that they've got, you know, watching the WWDC sessions. I was very excited about it. So, but it, it, when, you know, in practicality right now, it, it, it's just something that's still on my radar to go keep an eye on and see if it gets better. Um, so is it wrong of me to think of, this Apple stuff was the TFS for Xcode? Probably not. You mean like uh, nobody will want to use it? <laughs> like it's like reinventing a wheel that's already been solved better somewhere else? Well, actually, I, Jenkins is disgusting to look at. 
I only yes. stick with it because it's got a great community behind it and yeah. it seems to support everything I want to do. So it's like functionally really awesome. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's really gross UI and we get these kind of obscure Java errors from it every once in a while where I have to go change how I launch it to give it more virtual memory and all this crap that I'd rather just do something that's kind of more integrated, better experience. The, the build bot dashboard thing is really sexy looking, but. I wonder about all these other things we're talking about. Like, so we've talked about like compiling and running tests, and those are two things that the build bots should help you with, right? I'm not sure if this any of this stuff is public, but I assume some the of the build, stuff. The bots is, are. I mean, well, now that Xcode five is out, although I guess technically the server side of that is not out. Yet. There's a menu. There's a menu called BuildBot, and it does something that I yes. might be talking about now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but there's a there's other things like archiving the build, like zipping up dsims and. Uh, submitting to TestFlight or Hockey App or whatever. Uh, if for a Mac app, you might be uploading to some place and I don't know what you use for the auto-update, like Sparkle or whatever. There's other things too, like maybe taking App Store screenshots, like some of the other automation you might do. Like If you could imagine what that would be like if Xcode was doing your CI, all of it would have to be in like bash scripts inside of your post-build block. And to me, that seems like it would be uh, really annoying to... Manage. Well, so funny I enough, think- I actually do that with my Jenkins stuff is that all of my post build stuff is scripted out mostly. Um, I use a couple of plugins, but I like to have it pretty portable and I have them as bash scripts that just Jenkins runs. And so just so I'm I not as relying on the plugin. I, th- I think that's yeah, I, yeah, I don't a really good idea to do that. Like I don't, I don't, I think all of those plugin things are useful, but then A, you're totally locked into Jenkins and B, the only way you can test stuff is running a build on a Jenkins machine rather than just running a script on your, on your yeah, local I'm machine. totally in like violent agreement with you guys. I don't like the plugins at all. It's most of them are poorly written so that they might not support some scenario that you need, but you need to know how these things work anyway. You need to know how to make an IPA from a command line and that sort of thing. But what I mean is like, uh, if it fails to build, I want to notify people. Yeah. yeah and you want like some things along tests that. and like, I mean, that's the, exactly. that's the thing that I, I can't imagine Apple will ever put into whatever tool they build is like nice test reporting and a thing that says this, this test fails the most frequently or this test is the longest running test in your, in your system or here's a nice HTML report in the, you know, showing all of your test results. Like they're just never going to do that. And the list gets longer of all the like ancillary tasks that I do for like a Rails project, like doing running Breakman so that I can see like what gems might be uh, have known security vulnerabilities. There's no reason why that same type of like code analysis couldn't be in Xcode, right? Like there's with the OC Lint project, you could say I want to fail the build if the cyclomatic complexity of any method gets beyond some number, um, yeah. or if I have a method that takes 15 arguments or whatever. That like we might as well just fail the build and fix that problem now. Right. Okay. And so I feel like, yeah, I feel like I do enough other build stuff that I'm not sure I'll ever be able to go fully to the bots for Xcode. But I could see it'd be nice to have them as a, like a quick. For what I run now, I have a you know most of my Jenkins installs for every project. There's a periodic build that grabs the code every 15 minutes and or goes and looks for changes every 15 minutes and runs a build just to see if we've broken anything. And I think Xcode bots would be good for that. But there are so many other things I do that wouldn't fit in the Xcode model. So I think it's it's kind of interesting that Jenkins has like such a big ecosystem around it now that it's quite hard to to displace it. Like Fortworks has a, a couple of CI tools uh, or CD CI tools, and 
I think one of the biggest barriers to, barriers to entry is they don't have all of this ecosystem of tooling around it. So the first thing that when you try and use it is like, oh, well, how do I do output? How do I get test coverage reports? All that stuff. And you, it's, it's hard to rebuild all that stuff from scratch. So just out of curiosity, what, what are all of the things that you have bash scripts or what have you to automate in your system? Um, so bumping the version number, build number, setting the version number of our products, then committing that and then, uh, also have scripted out, copying out, sending out things like, um, Sparkle updated feeds, um, we have one particular one where the, if we're doing a beta build, it updates the beta website with all the, the release note changes we've committed. Um, uh, what else have we automated? Um, we have a redacted build <laughs> of something that, you know, updates, sends out another file and hockey. I, I actually use the hockey plugin. Unfortunately, I, I want to script that out as a, as a script. So I, the reason, one of the reasons I'm, I'm building all the scripts is to actually, I, I want to switch to bamboo from Jenkins for my stuff. So my reliance on the plugins going down has more to do with, uh, with that than, than a lot of things. But, um, uh, we commit back the version numbers that we've submitted once a build succeeds, um, so that we get those and everybody has the latest build number in their, um, apps. And then that's a good point to touch on. I struggle with that a little bit. Like when, when you want your, official versions to be read by like a valid build, then they need to come from your build server, which means you need to give your build server permission to check in code. So it sounds yeah. like you guys are okay with checking in version numbers. Yeah, we uh, have a check in version numbers, uh, and it has its own SSH key, which we can revoke if our build server were to get compromised. So wait, how do you, why do you need to check that in there? Well, cause so we, the reason we check it in is, is that uh, we have, um, so we have three builds for each product. We have the periodic build, which I mentioned earlier. We have the QA build, and we have the um, production build. And production build builds it for the app store or for shipping to the website or whatever. And so periodic builds don't touch the build number. They're just there to tell us that, hey, everything's still building. The QA is the only build that bumps the version number. So anytime we, we always do a smoke test build or our designers are kicking off a new, you know, developers that, hey, this feature's done, go get a QA build, that bumps the build number. Uh, we keep two text file, or keep a text file per product that is the version number, and the script that re- there's a script that reads that and changes it in Xcode or changes it in the plist if necessary. So then, when we do a production build, that production comes off of our master branch. Uh, we have two branches: we have master and develop. Develop is where we're doing all of our changes of everything, and master is where production comes from. So master builds are always the last. QA build number that we've vetted. So we do a smoke test build before we go for release. And then that becomes our last build number. So that needs to be committed back so that we can merge it to the other branch. And then everybody gets the latest build number from the server. That okay. makes sense. Uh, I think so. Kind of like, um, like simulating a, a build pipeline using, using CI, I guess. So you're kind of keeping track of the, of, the progress of your your kind of your build through through a pipeline from right, and that build number happens to act you know coincidentally matches the um, yeah. Jenkins build number, so right. that we can go back and get the DSIM and anything we need. If so, we get a crash from a uh, designer, we can go uh, symbolicate it with that DSIM. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, thing to focus on for a second. Like having one of your developers do a build for Test Flight or Hockey App or any archive build whatsoever. Um, app store or whatever 
the DSIMs end up on their machine and they need to go somewhere else and live for a while. Um, and, you know, the build server is a perfect place for this because you don't want to have that person, like, you know, quit or move on to another project and you got to go track them down so you can find an old G- uh, DSIM file. Yeah. And we, and anything that gets, um, so we don't, we don't upload every, um, DSIM to hockey, but I mean, apps we upload to hockey, the script that does that also uploads the DSIM so the hockey can do symbolication as well. So, uh, yeah, it's certainly definitely agree with, uh, that you need of, you know, for the longest time I had, I was building a client project and, uh, I had all the DSIMs and I hated that because that means I needed to send them out to people instead of just, you know, we work in those remote teams all working different schedules in the middle of the night. Somebody might need that DSIM and, you know, they couldn't get it. So. Having it all on Jenkins has, has helped that quite a bit. And to help you with the version number thing, there's actually a tool Apple ships for projects using their stuff called AVG tool that will set the, um, or AGV, I always get that backwards, will set the version number for you and automatically increment the build number um, for you. Or you can set it, I pull it from the Jenkins environment, but... Um, it can also bump it um, by itself. I think the only downside to that tool is that if you have a bunch of targets in a project, they all share the same build number. And I think that is a bummer because sometimes I don't want to bump every target's build number if I'm only building a, one specific target. What do you do about when a new developer or, or rather a new tester comes on board and they register a new device or you get a you know batch of iPhone 5Ss for the office? Um, what's your process for getting those added to the portal and creating a new profile, ad hoc profile that includes those devices? The way I do it is, is I get them all to register to hockey and then go into hockey, export those devices and upload the file to the portal. I know there are some command line tools to do that. I just find that to be more oner- onerous than just getting a text file from hockey and uploading it. So, um, so I put the onus on the people then- to register the device. <laughs> register their device so that it saves me time. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I use test flight, but the same similar thing. There's a really good way of getting somebody signed up when it automatically gives me the uh the device information, but you could look at well, what's it called? Cupertino. Yep. Um if you want to like uh list and add devices if they don't already exist in there, that way you might have just like one canonical list of devices in your project that you check in. And you could just run that like on every build, uh perhaps. Um the what about the, that the, is that the it, new profile? Go ahead. Oh, I, I looked into doing that with Cupertino, and maybe I'm too dumb, or it, maybe it's changed. But at the time I was looking at it, um, I couldn't automate it because it prompted for passwords and for all sorts of other things that I couldn't figure out how to get it to stop prompting for. So it would stop, you know, a script midway. So yeah, on a build server, that's kind of bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I haven't actually. That's what I really that wanted. Yet, but... I wanted to automate it and just have it always have the freshest provisioning profile, but instead I scripted out re-signing a build with a new profile um, instead and re-uploading that to hockey. I find that that's easier than trying to do use Cupertino. I hope, I don't know if it's changed. I need to check into it a little more frequently, but I'm also got a lot to do and I have the problem solved. So uh, occasionally I'll I'll revisit it um, if I want to try to make it better, but right now it's working pretty well for me. And um, then, so if you do this process manually and then you generate a new ad hoc profile, do you check that into your repository? Yes, we have all of those checked into our repo. And then um, a part of our build copies it to the right spot in uh, Jenkins uh, to override it. We don't, we, um, 
we have it's what is it library mobile uh, devices provisioning profiles I think is the folder yeah um, and you got to like grip out the UDID out of the file no we don't well, so here's magic trick you don't have to um, well yeah, I guess if you're updating your, we also update we we hard we check in the project into the project file which one it should use for ad hoc and production builds so anytime I'm updating the profile I update the project as well so okay. as long as the file is out there um, it'll find it you don't need the um, if you just copy it to that folder with its name you gave it in in the uh, as, as it comes downloaded as it'll work just fine you don't need the okay ID. yeah I had to come up with this hacky thing like the file is binary but there's like ASCII text in it so you can grep for the UDID pattern or UUID yeah. pattern uh, it's assigned. It. It's assigned binary, actually. Um, so Jay Graves at uh, Double Encore taught me a neat trick. Um, with uh, you know, there's a, you can actually read and verify that, and he has a link. For, uh, he has a post on how you do it um, on his website, and I'll add, add it, give it to you guys, to give it the show notes. But um, it's a really neat. Just double check to make your profile is valid. Um, but it's um, it uses the OpenSSL command lines to decrypt it and or to verify it and stuff like that. And I remember at one point somebody had like a quick look plugin that yep. would let you like view the devices inside of one of those. Uh, yeah, I use that a lot. I actually have that one installed um, still. So just to double check it and see to make sure that the device IDs I expect to be in there, or at least the ones I just added are in there uh, before I upload it up to Jenkins. Or, well, upload it and commit it and it gets uploaded to Jenkins. So, but yeah, that's certainly something that could be better. I think it'd be nice if Apple provided a away themselves. I know that there's some iTunes Connect command line stuff now. It'd be nice if we got some device profile and certificate management command line stuff too. So that someone would like, you know, I love Cupertino and Matt's brilliant, but it'd be nice if we didn't have to have someone hacking around a solution like that. Right. Yeah, I agree. So um, what about like when your certificate expires and you have to download a re- uh, renewed one? What's that so- process like? For me right now, that process is a little painful. Um, and I, I have a Jenkins specific keychain that we uploaded to the server. And then I have a copy of it. Uh, uh, there's a copy in the repo. And we just update the certificate in there. But uh, going back to Jay, he recently had a talk at 360 iDev. And I, I learned a trick from him at that talk that I'm going to start implementing where uh, you have a keychain per project. And you can have Xcode build uh, unlock that keychain or you can unlock that keychain and use it in the middle of your build and then close it at the end. And so that as long as you keep that keychain up to date in the project, you're, you're golden. You don't have to do anything else. And you just put it in yeah, a well known location. That is a pretty cool trick. And you can I, use a, like a password on that as well, right? I think. Yeah. You, I would, yeah, would recommend it as well. Would you put Which a is good if you want to, if you want to use like Travis or something to do this stuff, then you can check in the, the keychain and, put it in source code and kind of have it not be too sketchy because you've got a secret password that if someone gets hold of your... Right. The only, the only sort of sketchy thing you need to do is that you need to give the private key, allow all access. There's a If you right-click on the private key and get info, there's a dialogue that comes up and you need to choose uh, allow all applications to access this item. Otherwise, when CodeSign tries to get it, even when you've unlocked the keychain, there's a prompt that which should be showing. But since you're running headless... You'll get the lovely uh, user interaction not allowed error from CodeSign, which basically means that it needed a prompt to unlock, you know, access the keychain, and it was running headless, so it couldn't. So, yeah, that's the one janky thing you need to do. Um, 
gives me, you know, a little bit less secure, but I think overall it, it's at some point you got to trust your build server and generally you're running it inside your firewall. So um, you got to trust it. At some point you got to trust the people on your network a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, it's less, that's less true if you want to use something hosted, which I guess, I don't know. I guess that's pretty, that's pretty um, obscure for, for Apple development to use a hosted CI thing. Yeah, they're getting more. I know there's one out there. Um, there's a few. Yeah, there's like but, there's Buildozer and there's there was that one that I assume got shut down by now, where you just upload any IPA uh, and they, they they were using, abusing their enterprise certificate. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, their enterprise certificate got revoked. Um, Surprisingly, shocker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I called that the minute I saw it. I was like, this is gonna last like a week. Yeah, they lost that. But I, for me, it's a very personal thing. I want to have as much control of the machine as possible because um, it's also got client source code on it that I have some contractual obligations to not you know, sure. lose track of. So I think this would be great for like open source projects and stuff that would be nice to just be able to build them. Um, if it's something that you can just pull off GitHub, that's great. But yeah, in general, I, I want, I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to my build machine. I want it sitting, you know, I want it to know that it's something I can control. And granted, one of my clients has, a, you know, their build machine is hosted at Mac Mini Colo, but, you know, we still control the machine. So that's a, I guess that's a, a good random question. Does it, is it, does everyone just use Mac Minis for, for this stuff or is, is it worth having like some beefy like Mac Pro? I, Probably not. Are you no, looking for our permission to, for you to buy a Mac Pro? Cause yeah. then yes, you need one. Okay. You need one. You Tell need the wife. new one. You need the yeah, new one. The new one. The new you one. have to have it. <laughs> well, Mainly for my builds. We have uh, two Mac Minis at our office, and we uh, one of them is uh, one of them is one of the new SSD or what is it, a Fusion Drive ones. Uh, it's got 16 gigs of RAM, and and so we have the host Jenkins use that as like a what do they call it a worker or a node or something build slave or something like yeah that. build yeah. slave yeah and so it just it's cool you don't even need to install Jenkins on the other machine you just give yeah, it's it pretty magic an SSH key. So it can log in and it will do the remote Java web start like voodoo. And somehow our builds run on the other server, which is pretty cool. So if you had like a Linux box and a Mac mini, you could have them coordinate and say, well, I want my Rails builds to go on the Linux box and I want my Mac builds to go on the Mac mini. Yeah. Yeah. So pro tip for that, if you do have slow, either slow tests or particularly slow compilation, you probably don't get that much for iOS, but instead of, well, SSDs help, but um, building a, just building everything on a RAM disk, it can, can like halve your, or can have like an order of magnitude improvement in your compilation time. So you just make a RAM disk, throw all the files in the RAM disk, and then compile from there. Cause actually a lot of compilation is reading source code and then writing source code or writing binaries. So it, that can help. Yeah. Generally, most of our builds, you know, they're a couple minutes. So yeah. it, it doesn't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time fretting yeah, over right. something that, automated and it's going to be done in a couple minutes and it's just kind of out of my hair already. I get an email and 15, you know, <laughs> 10 minutes later, oh good, it's done. I just got our HipChat deploy, I mean, uh, build notification success after 29 minutes. This is for a Rails project that has a bunch of oh, tests. But, that's a bunch of tests, yeah. I'd have but, to say our, you know, I think our average build, my average build time is easily under 5 minutes for everything. So, And I think that includes uploading it to wherever for um, on our QA build. It, it doesn't take very long at all. Well, that's fairly ideal. I mean, you want that fast feedback so you can fix issues, you know, while they're still fresh in your head. 
Well, sure. And, you know, if you have a lot of tests, that's, you know, I, a place I was at that had TFS, you know, one of our builds took, started taking like an hour. And that was sort of a bummer because we had gated check-ins where uh, your check-in didn't actually make it to where the developers could have it until it passed the tests and our build queue would grow and our boss would be like, where's that change? And I was like, well, it's in the build queue. And so we, that's when we started looking at our, the performance of our tests to see if what we could do there. So, and it helped us find performance issues in our code, but yeah, overall, uh, you know, Mac mini is what I, you know, what I run my stuff on. So, so if you're a solo developer, is it okay to do all this on one machine or do you really need to have another machine? I have it actually for a long time. I've been running it on my iMac in the background, um, my main iMac uh, for doing builds, and it's no big deal. It, I mean, my iMac's pretty fast at it. So, um, I as a solo developer, you can start with what you have, and then you know, mm-hmm. keep an eye out for used Mac Mini if you want on Craigslist or something, or whatever in your country is the fast way to find used stuff. And it doesn't need to say be- like. CI is is a practice as much of a tool, so you can just do it like from from the command line before you check in code. Like you don't if you if you're the only person doing it, then right. there's less of a need to integrate across different developers. Obviously, there's just one of you, so you can just have a rate task or a shell script or whatever that does your CI and just run that when you before you check stuff in. I guess it means you have to wait for five minutes and watch it build, but. Which and also, to remember, you have to remember to do that. So, that's why, like, yeah, that's Jenkins, Jenkins is my memory to do things. So, yeah. you know, anytime I, any step I can automate in there, I, I try to add it. And it's something where I, you know, that, that stuff changes too. Like, you know, things are added over time yeah. as well. Yeah, well, I think, if you know, having that, having that um, already in place means that all kinds of other opportunities open up. Like, I saw a uh, script, somebody used the um, instruments used instruments to take screenshots of the application in the various locales or languages or whatever so that uh, you could get your app store screenshots in, you know, English, Spanish, German, Dutch, or whatever. And you wouldn't have to do this manually because after you've done this once, you're like, oh, I've got to take those same screenshots again because I changed a stupid label. <laughs> it goes back to my comment earlier about, like, I don't want to change labels ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, I, I've heard of that script, and it's something recently I was like, oh, I should have implemented that because screenshots would be a lot easier. And then, you know, I always listen to what other people are doing and try to, you know, hey, could I use that? Like, with, like going back a little bit, Jay's tip about the keychain, I was just like, it was like a head smack moment. I'm like, why didn't I think of that? That would make everything so much easier. Yeah, there are also tools out there for your uh, command line, like guard that you can use to watch files and then have it do things based on whether or not files change. So it's not quite the same. You could also put in a Git hook. There are ways of automating it on your local machine. Uh, there's a uh, there's a guard XC tool I saw. Oh, really? Yeah, I've been look- looking at... Uh, probably I, gonna bet I know the guy that. that did that. There's this guy that does guard S- everything for iOS. He did one for Frank and one for Calabash. And it's just Is like, it Su Ying? I don't know. I I'll paste the link. Uh, one other just sort of random tip. Uh, when you upgrade Xcode, a lot of times it will prompt you like uh, interactively to accept terms. Oh, yeah. And if you're running on a build server, you obviously can't handle that. Um, turns out you can do this from the command line, which to me, if you can automate the acceptance of terms, seems like they're less effective, but I don't care. You run sudo Xcode build dash license, and it will uh, accept the license for you. Yeah, that's actually one of my tips to mention. Uh, that, that was one 
catch you. Gotcha. The error you'll get is uh, you have not agreed to the Xcode license, Xcode license agreement. <laughs> if you're on your first time running with Jenkins, and it's the first time of Xcode running on that machine because the license is per user. But if you use sudo, it clears it for everybody. <laughs> One more tip. Either back up your Jenkins configurations in the, the its workspace directory or its build jobs directory or version control it. Because as you make changes and script things and add stuff, you don't want to have your Jenkins server go down and lose it all. So at the very least, uh, back up that folder. Same thing with the artifacts as well, right? Like if you want to keep those symbolicated, if you want to be able to symbolicate an old build and Jenkins is set to clean up old builds, then you probably want to put them somewhere. Yeah. Or, yeah, or there's a, I think there's a plugin to add to Jenkins to say, mark this build as permanent. Don't, no matter what, don't delete this build. Right, right. That's true. So, um, yeah, but definitely have a backup for that stuff because, you know, while setting it up isn't painful, um, it can be a little time-consuming getting all the tweaks just right or if you've made some some pretty gnarly changes um, that need that you don't want to have to repeat, definitely want to back it up or put it in version control. I'd recommend version put- control just so you can see what you've changed. And then you have a Jenkins for your Jenkins so you can build your CI while you're CI and your CI. Exactly. <laughs> I actually I know someone that does that. <laughs> you forgot dog. A, <laughs> dog. I know someone that has a build pipeline for their build pipeline. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Oh, we nerds are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into the picks then. Let's start with Andrew. Sure. I have two picks today. One is just a small one, but it was helpful to me recently, and it's a short article with an example of how to do background fetching on iOS 7. So this is where your app can actually download updated content from the web in the the background. Like a Twitter client can download new tweets without you having to open it. It's on a on a blog called I don't know how you say this, Hayek Geek. And the second one is we talked, there was a little discussion about project management stuff and so my pick is is a tool called Sprintly which we've been using at work for the last, I don't know, six months or something, and it's actually pretty decent, so that's Sprintly. It's sort of an agile you know, issue tracking system, but it's fairly flexible. So awesome. Those are my picks. Very nice. All right, Ben, what are your picks? Okay, so um, I asked you if I could go early because I figured I was going to steal somebody's pick. So <laughs> my first pick is, uh, I have four picks. The first pick is ASCIIWWDC.com. Our good friend Matt Thompson has uh, downloaded all of the transcripts from WWDC and put them in a searchable site online. Wow. Uh, so go to ASCIIWWDC.com. Uh, it's really awesome. Uh, Does I that think guy ever sleep? Be... <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently he did this in a weekend. Yeah, I think some of this stuff might still be under NDA because it's Mac, but I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But for now, it's a pretty awesome idea. Uh, and apparently, Apple gives you the. Uh, the SRT files that contain the transcripts. So, uh, so there's that. Um, also, I just bought a new amp uh, for my guitar. I'm trying to get more into electric guitar. Uh, so I bought a uh, Fender Blues Junior, uh, and I really like it. It's still too loud for my small house. Um, my family is, you know, they give me like, like the mean eyes when I start playing. But, but anyway, it sounds really good. Also, I've been uh, really enjoying uh, some this YouTube channel called GuitarJams.com. And uh, the guy there is just really good at sort of blues licks and that sort of thing. And it's sort of getting me excited about guitar again. And my last pick is uh, Ray Winderlich's book on iOS 7 called iOS 7 by Tutorials. And it already 
sort of saved my bacon this week. Uh, so it's full of information. And when you're looking for stuff on iOS 7, sometimes you run into stuff that is just not documented at all. And you go back and watch the WWDC video and it's like not helpful. Then you go look at the sample code for that session and you find it's not present. And then you email your Apple developer evangelist and you don't get a reply. <laughs> and so that's been my week. Uh, uh, so anyway, luckily this book it was uh, full of information. It's really good. So I will link to all of those things in the show notes. Cool. Pete, what are your picks? I just got really confused because I was looking at the website for one of my picks and it started playing blues at exactly the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, is someone listening to this YouTube video? Why is no one else hearing this? <laughs> um, okay, my pick. So my first pick is Pappy's Smokehouse. Uh, if you go to their website, they have a blues uh, song that starts playing when you open the, <laughs> the browser window. Uh, so I was just in St. Louis Missouri for Strange Loop and we went for barbecue at this place and it was as amazing it was really really good so if you're ever in St. Louis go to Pappy's Smokehouse the line is like half an hour long it's absolutely worth waiting for two hours my next pick is a shameless plug for a product by my company so um, we make a continuous delivery tool called Go which is definitely not as popular as Jenkins but it's very useful if you want to do more advanced continuous delivery stuff rather than just CI stuff. Plug, plug. My next pick is a beer. It is Bombay by Boat from Moonlight Brewing, who are in um, based just near here in, uh, where are they based? Uh, Santa Rosa in Sonoma County, California. Really, really good IPA. Um, it's hard to get outside of the Bay Area, but everyone should be living in the Bay Area anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, my last two picks are two gems that wrap around Xcode. So there's Xcoder by a um, really smart Australian guy called Ray something. I can't remember his last name. And Xcode build-rb from the inimitable Luke Redpath, who never sleeps also. And that's it. All right. Jane, what are your picks? So I'm going to make a, a beer pick today. I'm going to talk about uh, loggers. Yes. Awesome. Uh, by loggers, I don't mean those dudes in the woods that dress like hipsters. I'm talking about uh, beer. Um, so every brewery in America is, you know, they've switched their production to brew exclusively quadruple IPAs, right? There's like hops and everything. Everything just tastes like a, like a grapefruit. But, you know, it's that kind of fall season. It's time for a good lager. Uh, who makes great lagers? The Germans, right? So you guys know where I'm going with this? Yeah. Yeah. It's like Oktoberfest time. Have like a German Oktoberfest, you know, not too many hops, just perfect. You know, they've been doing this for like 500 years, you know, they've got it down, you know. Uh, so grab yourself like an Oktoberfest, like a Polliner, Hawker Shore, have one of those Munich beers, get yourself a big mug, it doesn't have to be like a like a 30 liter monster mug, something where your nose is in there, and you take a sip, kind of give it a smell, that just smells like heaven, you know, a little bit of hops, a little bit of malts. Now I want a beer. <laughs> you know that, that's my goal man so have have one of those Oktoberfest beers it's fantastic your buddy's gonna have their quadruple IPAs but you know you're doing something a little bit different so are you getting commission pick. what's that are you no, getting I'm commission just, I'm just getting thirsty best pick awesome alright Rod what are your picks alright I wanna pick everything that's been mentioned in this show it's all good stuff and then I'll pick uh I'll pick uh, my new app that just came out, uh, got released in store called Pitching Radar. It 
kind of turns your phone into uh, a radar gun for baseball pitches, and you can count pitches and all that. So that might come in handy for little leaguers and such. And then I want to pick Rich Hickey. I've been watching a lot of his uh, presentations and his ideas and values and state and what's wrong with modern programming um, are pretty, pretty insightful. That's it. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and jump in with some picks. My first pick is ShareMouse. It's a program that allows you to it allows you to share your mouse and keyboard across multiple uh, machines, kind of like what is it, Teleport or uh, Synergy, um, except it actually works. And so uh, <laughs> that's an important requirement. You have to pay for it, but it it works really nicely. I've been really happy with it. I'm also using Tweetbot to keep track of uh, tweets to this particular podcast and other podcasts. Twitter accounts. This this podcast Twitter account is iFreaks, so I'm really enjoying that. And then my wife turned me on to a couple of books that I've, I've been really enjoying, and they are the Michael Vay books by Richard Paul Evans. Um, just really, really fun books. I'm about halfway through the second book, and uh, so I'll put links into the show notes for all of those, and uh, we'll let Patrick give us some picks. All right. Um, so for a food pick, um, if your city has a Fogo de Chao, I would highly recommend you visit it. It's a Brazilian steakhouse where uh, unlimited meat comes to your table and uh, is very delicious and very, very yummy. Another pick, uh, a shameless plug for Martian Crafts Briefs, um, a great app for designing prototypes for your iOS apps uh, where you can then run the brief on your device and see how things would interact. A great for tool for designers to be able to ship asset, you know, assets and everything over to a developer with exact precise layout of where everything should go. A game that I enjoyed recently playing through is uh, Nevin Morgan and I forgot his partner's name, but uh, Black Bar, uh, which is a, a, a game for the iPad and the iPhone where uh, it's a game based on censorship where you have to uh, guess words and things that are blacked out in text. It's a lot of fun. I'd also like to recommend a book by Jonathan Penn called Test iOS Apps with UI Automation. Bug, bug hunting made easy. It goes through all of the stuff Apple added um, with UI automation to be able to, to test your app's UI, which is something that's hard, typically hard uh, to go through um, for iOS apps. And it'll run through your UI and make sure everything's working just fine, as you expect. And um, I'd also, we've talked a lot about Jenkins, but I would also pick Bamboo as a, as a pick. Um, Bamboo is a great build server from Atlassian. And if you use Jira, it has uh, also has great integration with between the two. And finally, um, I'd like to pick Alfred, which I use every instance of the day, which is a tool for the Mac that lets you launch apps, uh, run workflows, open files, find files, and everything just come in you know, with with a keystroke and I love it and use it all the time. Awesome. Well, uh, I think we're, uh, going to wrap up the show. Thanks for coming, Patrick. It was awesome talking to you and and getting your insight on automating builds. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was really useful. Great stuff. All right. Well, uh, we'll wrap up the show. We'll catch y'all next week.